Welcome to another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Five Rounds is served by the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill locations, my friends, all over South Florida. It is the best place to watch every UFC pay-per-view fight. The fight night cards as well, but for the pay-per-views, my friends, there is zero cover charge. The seafood is fresh and delicious. The burgers are top-notch. The cocktails will cure your ales, and the beer is always cold. So visit them online and peep that menu at quarterdeckrestaurants.com. Another episode of Five Rounds. Alex Dono alongside, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, the real Frank Zaffrey. Give the man a follow on Twitter. Are you at least in, like, the 20s yet, Frank, with the Twitter followers? I don't want to get you overly excited, but I'm getting close to 30. I picked oh. up one follower today. It was another mercy follow from a great friend of ours, Jim Frivola, out in Vegas, running that hockey program out there. He <laughs> threw me a follow today. So, uh, you know, two more and I'm at 30, bro. Uh, that's fantastic, man. We are <laughs> getting there. Uh, James Walker could not make it tonight. We will hear from James, though, later on in the show because he sat down with – I don't know what the latest nickname is for this fighter because he switched it like 10 times. But James Walker sat down yesterday with Rory McDonald – PFL fighter. So we're going to hear from Rory with James later on in the program. Uh, shout out and kudos to the folks at PFL. You can see I'm wearing a PFL t-shirt. I will I will rep them very strongly, loudly, and proudly today. So PFL, they're coming to Hollywood, Florida to the Hard Rock in August. Three shows in August. I believe it's the 13th, the 19th, and the 27th. PFL playoffs coming to the Seminole Hard Rock. So they're going to be here three shows in a rapid amount of time. And the last couple of days, Frank, they hosted media days. Uh, I went down on Wednesday, yesterday, or I went up really geographically from where I am to American Top Team. And James Walker went to Sanford MMA today. I, I couldn't make both. So I'm glad James could make the other one. And dude, Frank, I had so much fun at ATT yesterday. You know, I had my guy Lee Sterling was asking me, hey, can you get any inside info on the fights coming up? Believe me, they're going to keep their secrets from a schlub like me. They, they don't want me going and blasting it out on my Twitter account. But man, Frank, I was watching our girl Kayla Harrison train and I did get to interview Kayla Harrison, Antonio Carlos Jr., a.k.a. Shoe Face. Haush Manfio I interviewed. So we're, we're going to play those. They're about five to seven minutes long each. We're going to play those throughout the show today. But the folks at PFL were gracious. American top team was incredible. And Frank, two-time Olympic gold medalist in judo, Kayla Harrison. I mean, people were raving about Ronda Rousey. Kayla Harrison is better at judo than Ronda Rousey was. And I think she's going to end up being better at MMA as well. She was awesome to watch train yesterday. Didn't Ronda have like a participation medal there? I mean, I did. She yeah, like a bronze, I think. That's I a loser think, medal. Yeah. I mean, come on, bronze. <laughs> we got gold around here. Hey, you know, you're talking. There's a reason. The audience should know. There's a reason I didn't get sent to either American Top Team or Sanford MMA. Because the last time you trusted me with doing an interview, I almost got beat up by Henry Hooft for taking inappropriate videos of fighter prep while I was there. So, uh, yeah, it's good that uh, you two professionals handled that. Yeah, dude, it's, it's crazy. Like, And they even, when we got there, um, the people from PFL, and huge shout out to Lauren and Tawny, awesome, awesome folks, the press uh, 
the 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 press heads for PFL, but like they told us straight up, like, hey, you're allowed to take still photos, you're not allowed to take videos. And so I, I was following that rule. But one of the other members of the press actually were she was able to sweet talk the powers that be at American Top Team to allow her to take some video. I still didn't do it because I, I was afraid because Conan Silvera, who is gigantic and could kick my ass in three seconds, he was yeah. lurking around there. I, you know, Mike Brown was there, although Mike, he, he, he could kick my ass, of course, but he's a real friendly dude. Conan Silvera, he, he, he's a nice guy, but he frightens me. And I did not want to violate any rules there at ATT. So I, I was fully compliant with the no, the no video policy. I, I stuck to still photos only, you know, Frank, we are, uh, five days removed now from a UFC fight night event in Vegas this past weekend. We did preview it on the last show with Makachev beating Moises by fourth round rear naked choke submission. And I felt like I really talked up Islam Mahachev a ton on the episode last week. And you're going to notice I'm going to jump back and forth between multiple different pronunciations for his name, because I never know for sure. Is it Mahachev or is it Makachev? So you will hear me say both. I don't think, Frank, I oversold how good this guy is because he delivered. And you noticed in the fight, Frank, Makachev even, he toyed with Moises a little bit because he kind of approached that fight a little bit like a sparring session, right? Because his corner, he had Javier Mendez from AKA. He had Khabib Nurmagomedov, who is, you know, his teacher. Islam is his protege. He had these guys in his corner telling him throughout the fight, you need to take down Moises even sooner than you're doing. Because in the first few rounds, Mahachev was like waiting until the ends of the rounds to score takedowns. And he was throwing a lot of punches throughout the fight and doing pretty well in his boxing. I mean, his boxing, he was touching up Moises, looked better in the stand-up than I thought. But his corner was like telling him, hey, don't even mess around on the feet. This guy can't stop your takedowns. Take him down and go to work. And yet Makachev, he even said it after the fight, he made a conscious effort to test out his punches and test out his striking throughout, you know, just to kind of, you know, show people what he can do and test himself out a little bit on the feet. And I thought it paid off and, and getting that experience might make him better for in the future when he fights opponents that are more equipped to stop his takedowns and stay out of clinching range from him, that those striking skills that he's working on are going to come in handy for him in the future. Look, there's nobody that I've seen on the roster in, in his division right now that can stop his takedowns. I sympathize with his corner wanting him to just get to work. That was a dangerous fight for him, and we talked about it in the last show. It's the only fight he could take, really, because everyone at that time, the way the rankings were set up, obviously he's moved up a lot. We're going to talk about that. But everybody above him was avoiding him. But we didn't talk enough in the show about how dangerous his opponent, Moises, is. Um, extremely skilled grappler, jiu-jitsu opponent. And I was most impressed by, and I'll stay away from the last name, I'll just say Islam. I was most impressed when Islam got himself in trouble. He got taken down himself, then he got his back taken for a minute, and the speed with which he was able to reverse positions on an opponent of such incredible jiu-jitsu pedigree was awesome to watch. And it proved two things to me. This Islam guy, his talent is through the roof. And number two, his cardio is insane. Usually oh, yeah. when someone gets taken down, there's a there's a deep breath moment, right? When you're like, okay, I got to settle in here. I got to figure out what's going on. 
but his cardio is so incredible. And it's, it's what we've gotten to know from these Dagestani fighters, including his mentor, Khabib. I mean, he was just able to explode into dominant position from what looked like a really bad spot really fast. That, more than anything else that happened in that fight, told me everything I need to know about this guy. And you mentioned his mentor, um, who's probably the greatest lightweight of all time. I mean, Khabib Nurmagomedov was basically unbeatable. I mean, his record would show that 29-0, unbeatable in the octagon. And, you know, he and Mahachev have so many similarities, even beyond the fact that they're close friends and they train together, whereas Mahachev is now referred to as Khabib 2.0. So, Frank, do you think at this point, is Islam Mahachev already good enough that if he were to fight Charles Oliveira or Dustin Poirier tomorrow, is he already good enough to be the lightweight champion of the world? Or does he need a little more seasoning? Because he hasn't fought an opponent yet of that caliber. He's made the competition look pretty piss poor of the guys that he has faced, but he's not fought anybody as good yet as a Poirier or an Oliveira. So is he ready for that? Or does he need a few more fights to work his way up? Uh, look, Alex, he would be the betting favorite against anybody ranked above him right now. Wow. I, I, I don't think there's any question. I mean, he is more dynamic and better at what he's good at than anybody ranked above him is in their respective fields. Um, maybe Oliveira's length and, and ability to maintain range might give him a little trouble. But I see, I see Islam just wrapping up Justin Gaethje with ease. I don't see Chandler giving him any problems. I see Chandler's hyper-violent aggression playing right into Islam's hands. Um, and Dustin Poirier, I think, would try to be disciplined about it, but just would be outgunned by talent. I mean, I just think Islam's talent is that much better. So, uh, you know, he finds himself now ranked five in the lightweight division, poised now really to uh, maybe one fight in the title. I think he's probably one fight away from realizing the dream of Khabib's father, which was at first Khabib would reign and then Islam would reign. And man, what I saw Saturday night, Alex, if he gets to the belt, it's going to be wild for somebody takes it from him. I cannot wait to see, because obviously there's going to be a step up further in competition for Islam's next fight. Just the challenge will be finding someone who agrees to fight him. I mean, Paul Felder, who was on the broadcast, outlined it perfectly that he is having the same problem that Khabib used to have before mm -hmm. he was champion, of course, because once you're champion, people will agree to fight you. But before you're champion, you know, if you have any say in the matter, because these fighters have managers, negotiations, they turn down opponents sometimes, or if Dana White offers them an opponent, they'll say, okay, that, that's good, but how about this other guy? How about I fight this other dude, right? right? It's, not, it's not like the PFL where you have to fight who they put in front of you. You have a little bit of a say in the UFC. And, you know, Khabib, when he was coming up, had an awful time, you know, finding opponents. People were ducking him left and right. Kamaru Usman, you know, before he was champion, was having a hard time because he was so dangerous and wasn't a big enough name that guys thought, hey, this is worth it to fight somebody this good. Uh, it's not worth it for a lot of fighters because they didn't think they would get enough rub from going out there and losing to a Kamaru Usman or Khabib Nurmagomedov. So it's just going to be a challenge for you know, Dana White to actually find an opponent who's not ducking this guy. But I'm so looking forward to watching Islam fight a step up in competition because, listen, Tiago Moises is a fine fighter. But, you know, Frank, I, I look at Moises, 
he's a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I don't mean that as any disrespect to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt because he is that. But he's not Damian Maya or Jacare Souza in his prime. Like he doesn't have yeah. that dangerous submissions for MMA. And he's a good striker, but not an incredible striker. And he doesn't really put on enough pressure, I don't think. So he didn't really have a whole lot to offer someone as good and as dangerous as Islam Mahachev. Whereas, uh, and, and one of the things, by the way, that Moises was doing in that fight that I thought was a little bit low fight IQ was he kept initiating the clinch. Why would you initiate clinch against that guy when clearly your best chance to win the fight would be? And, and again, Moises is a pretty damn good striker. So his better path to victory would have been, let me stay as far apart from this guy as possible. Try to kick him, try to punch him from range. Why would you initiate the clinch against a combat Sambo master? It's just not going to go well for you. So I figure once Mahachev is getting a fight, potentially against a guy like Rafael Dos Anjos. Now, you brought up a great point to me that Rafael Dos Anjos is actually now ranked two spots behind Islam Mahachev. So maybe that's a fight that doesn't make a whole lot of sense on paper for Islam. But Frank, I'll tell you, I think that would be a great measuring stick opponent for Islam because RDA, uh, I, I think he's going to fight smarter. He's going to put on a lot more pressure and really test the pressure that Mahachev puts on. RDA has been around since the time of Moses. Like th this guy has seen everything there is to see in the octagon. So his experience could help him. I think it's a, it's a fight Mahachev wins, but I think that's the type of opponent that Islam Mahachev needs to be fighting. Somebody who has more to offer than Tiago Moises, because there's a reason why uh, Mahachev was a minus 1000 favorite against Moises. He didn't really have a chance. Well, first of all, I, like I don't think I think what you're doing there is you're calling RDA a gatekeeper a bit, yes. right? Okay. 100%. I don't think uh, Islam needs to go through any more gates. I mean, he's in the top five now. Um, he's ready to play at that level. And you know, I'm going to need your help for a second because I mean, I'm looking at the rankings now. Charles Oliveira, obviously a champion, getting set to fight Dustin Poirier. Justin Gaethje, uh, obviously we can get into it later, but being baited by Michael Chandler. Uh, it's pretty pretty obvious that Michael Chandler's a little desperate to try to get into the title hunt again. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Justin Gaethje, in my opinion, can just sit and wait. I mean, really, he got – I thought he got left out of a fight he should have been in, uh, coming up short against Khabib and then getting passed over by Michael Chandler for the first title shot against – or for the title fight with Charles Oliveira. So I see Gaethje being able to wait. I see Chandler as his next fight for Islam. You know, Chandler coming off a loss, both of them, you know – you, you, the winner gets next, you know, yeah. however you want to order that. And the thing I need your help on is uh, Benil Dariush. I, I don't know, sitting at number three, I'm not sure how I play that in to this whole thing. You know, set up, and, and I think that that would be another great test for Islam Mahache because I, I look, I, I kind of, Frank, I look at Benil Dariush as a better slightly younger version of RDA. Like, I, I, I think that, again, that would be, you know, and right. at number three, you couldn't even really call him a gatekeeper. This is a really highly ranked guy. But I think that Benil Dariusha's style, this is another fighter that puts on a ton of pressure, very experienced. I think he would be another really good test for Islam Mahachev. So I wouldn't mind seeing that one either. But but between the two, and I, the reason I was asking for help is I can't remember what Dariush has done recently off the top of my head. Uh, but Michael Chandler, I'd like to see Islam against Chandler also, because I'd like to see Islam get a bigger audience to see 
his skill set. And I just feel like Chandler is going to bring a bigger audience to maybe a, a headliner in an upcoming UFC fight night. And uh, then he, we, yeah. Dariush, by the way, is on a roll. Uh, six consecutive wins. You remember he, uh, it, it's it's May 15th, he beat Tony Ferguson, beat Carlos Diego Fajeda, beat Scott Holtzman, beat Drakkar Close, beat Frank Camacho, beat True Dober, who's really tough. He beat Tiago Moises, who Islam just beat. So, no, I think that'd be a great matchup. Yeah, and I forgot Tony Ferguson was his last. That was his big profile, high profile win. Yeah. Which, and, okay. and you remember uh, we we talked about that Tony Ferguson finished. He's he's done. Yeah. <laughs> well. He's unfortunately he is he is done. Uh, hey, so in, in a few minutes uh, we're gonna hear from Kayla Harrison. I had a chance to sit down with her, but let's let's stay on the women's MMA tip, Frank, because. Okay. I, I feel so confident in saying this, that the UFC is a better place with Misha Tate in it. She returned from almost five years away from the octagon. And it was an interesting fight because it was the long-awaited Misha Tate return from retirement. And it was the retirement fight for a Marion Renault who left her gloves in the center of the octagon after Misha TKO'd her in the third round. And I just thought that it was... It was an impressive performance for Misha Tate. And in that women's bantamweight division, I mean, not only did she look really good, I think her time away from the octagon and, you know, her time away was mostly for personal reasons. I mean, she was five years ago, you know, she was getting out of a, of a bad relationship. Uh, she didn't really know what direction she wanted her life to go into since that time. She's had two, two children, which I know can change people's perspectives on life. And she just decided, you know what? I miss this. I want to be back in the octagon. And she seemed to have an awesome time because I, I watched a bunch of interviews both before and after the fight with Misha Tate. And she just she didn't realize how much she missed fight week and fight day. Like she thought, oh, I never imagined I could have so much fun doing media, going out there and fighting. And we saw the usual wrestling skills, Frank, from Misha, who that's always been her bread and butter are the takedowns. But I thought her striking also looked better than it did historically. So clearly she's been working on her hands over these past four and a half years. I, I thought this was one of her better performances. And in that women's bantamweight division, because not only does she look really good, uh, but she's also such a big name. She's probably just one more victory away from being Amanda Nunez's next victim, because obviously nobody's beating her. <laughs> but you would figure Misha Tate, maybe she gets matched up with Holly Holm next, who she's already beaten. They could do that rematch. And if Misha Tate wins that fight again, she's probably right back in a title fight after that. Yeah, she would be. I think Holly Holm is like ranked second right now in that division. So, yeah, I went over Hollywood, probably set her up. Look, Misha, I, I, on the positive side, I agree with you. Misha did not look like she had the kind of rust and the kind of like, you know, hesitancy that you would expect to see from someone who's been out of there for as long as she has been. I was pleasantly surprised by that. I, I noticed that her attitude and her, her excitement to be there both pre and post fight, it was, it was, it was really fun to watch. And she's a fan favorite for a reason. I mean, you know, if she's on a card, you want to watch it. Yep. She's a great personality. She's a great person and she's a great fighter. Okay, on the negative side, oh. there's no evolution in her style whatsoever. I mean, she's the same Misha Tate. You didn't make her hands that... look better? No, I think you're sugarcoating that. <laughs> I, I, I think I think she looked like the same Misha Tate who fought a 96-year-old person who was retiring after the fight. I'm exaggerating, but she fought an elder statesman. Uh, 44 years the, old, I think. Yeah, 44-year-old. Uh, yeah, she's no, she's no uh, pushover, but, you know, come on. 
So they they fed her something relatively easy in the division. Um, and she looked good doing it. So good for her. But she's the same Misha Tate. So where's this party going? She could probably beat Holly Holm again. Uh, yeah. But then what? I mean, Amanda Nunes, then Amanda Nunes could disfigure her. I mean, I don't want to see her fight Amanda Nunes. I mean, seriously, she could end up hospitalized after that fight. Because Amanda Nunes is getting exponentially better all the time. Yeah. She's never left the game. She's a cyborg. She's just, they're reprogramming her all the time. I feel like her training is more like the Matrix. They just put something in her, and then they just start, you know, feeding her more moves and more violent, you know, techniques. So, uh, Misha, please, uh, maybe one more fight and then get out of there. You know, get a get a broadcast job. She'd be great at that. You know, she was great in the post fight. It's, though, it's like, but, but, but you're describing a problem that every female fighter at 135 and 145 pounds would have fighting Amanda Nunes. Like she disfigures everybody. So it's like, I mean, should, should everybody just retire because there's no point in being in either of those divisions because you know Amanda's what? so good. You know what? I'm being chauvinist, too, because, I mean, Misha's a pretty lady. I don't want to see her get all busted up, and I know it's going to happen. I just don't <laughs> want to see it happen. It makes me sad. Misha, please, stop. One more and get out of there. Come you know, back, I was, go 2-0 and, oh and get out of there. I was having a conversation earlier today, completely unrelated to the fight game, but uh, I was talking Olympics with somebody, and I, I barely care about the Olympics, if I'm being honest. But Didn't they get know, canceled? I mean, isn't it about... Did it? I, I don't know. No, but, I'm being funny. But. But, but, like, but somebody proposed to me that Simone Biles, the gymnast, is the most dominant athlete in any sport, that she's just so unparalleled. And, you know, I, I brought up, well, maybe uh, and I'm, I'm not a huge Formula One guy. My dad is into it. So sometimes I'll catch some races here and there. Uh, but Lewis Hamilton seems to be pretty unparalleled uh, right now in that sport. But can't you also throw Amanda Nunes in that discussion? Because, you know, nobody in the MMA women's divisions are even close to her. Like I, I thought Cyborg was and then she fought Cyborg and kicked her ass. So it's like, what else is there? Like she's head and shoulders to me, the, the best fighter, uh, you know, of that gender. Like to me, there's nothing even close. Yeah. I don't know how you go about doing that math. I mean, do you start being just ridiculously dominant in your own sport and then you start to compare them to other sports? I, I mean, I don't know how you make uh, Amanda better than say a tennis player, a female tennis player, or a female basketball player. I, I don't know how you do that math, but She's definitely a premier female athlete at the very top of the list, however you want to make that list, and uh, and a terrifying opponent. And you're right, someone. To, I mean, at this point, who would who would want to go in there with her? I mean, how big does that check have to be? How many men would avoid that fight in that division? I mean, <laughs> I mean, she is she is something else, and uh, you know, Misha's got absolutely zero chance of beating her even around even winning around she couldn't even win half around she can't be in that octagon for more than a couple of minutes with amanda nunez before she's a bloody mess so i just don't want to see it yeah well, you know another uh, pretty incredible female fighter like she she has more to prove of course before we're going to put her in the amanda nunez stratosphere but when it comes to her original discipline judo uh she is so decorated a lot more than ronda rousey ever was by the way want to get into a, a couple of things in the meantime uh we are going to be joined for sure at seven o'clock by our pal former professional fighter jp reese 
uh, who's going to join us at seven and possibly in about 10 minutes, uh, we're going to be joined by Dean Thomas, coach of the stars. Now the issue with Dean Frank is why we're playing it by ear was uh, he, he might be in the car at that time. Now, when we used to be doing terrestrial radio, that wasn't a big deal. You just get on the phone and talk to us. But now that we have this big production and we do streaming video, uh, this may be a, a little bit harder to pull off. I don't want the guy to be streaming while driving. So we're, we're, so we're going to see where Dean Thomas is a little bit later. You know, coming into uh, to what we have coming up this weekend, Frank, I do want to get into this UFC fight night, which is a great card, top to bottom, a six-fight main card. But the main event to me is especially interesting. You have TJ Dillashaw coming back from two years away, not by his choice, not due to injury. He was suspended those two years for using what's kind of considered one of the worst performance enhancers you can possibly use when it comes to how much it enhances you and when it comes to what it can do to your body. He was caught with EPO. When he fought Henry Cejudo, uh, he moved down to try and fight for the flyweight title against Cejudo a couple of years ago. In fact, that was so long ago, Frank. You and I, I think, were still doing our show on 560 before that fight because I remember talking about it. I remember I remember talking about him popping positive for EPO. And so now TJ Dillashaw is finally back. And it, it's pretty incredible that every pro fighter, including his opponent, Corey Sanhagen, every time they talk about TJ – you get the sense that there is a real feeling of disgust about what he did that a lot of these pro fighters, including the guy he's about to face, whenever they weigh in on TJ's time away, like they are really, really harsh about him, you know, cheating and, and disgracing the honor of the sport using EPO. To TJ's credit, Frank, he's not trying to hide it or lie about it because one thing that drives me insane and I guess it's possible that this can happen because, like, the supplement industry is really shady. But you notice that 99.9% of the times that a professional fighter gets caught with a with a performance-enhancing substance, they always use the excuse of either, oh, it must have been that thing I took from GNC, or I didn't realize what my doctor was injecting in me. He told me it was above board. I didn't know. You don't hear TJ. I guess maybe it's harder to make those excuses um, it's harder to make those excuses about something like EPO because you, you can't really do that by accident. But TJ admitted to it. You know, he he's, he he talks about how you know he's not going to let the haters get him down. He knows what he did. He knows why he did it. I can at least appreciate his honesty. Yeah, I, I, that's what I wanted to enunciate. I mean, he just owned it. There was no BS. There was no you know arguing about you know tainted supplements and the rest of it. Um, so I like that part of it, but, uh, you know, to get more into this, the, the, the nature of EPO and, and why he's getting the backlash and the, and the hate that he is, I mean, it, EPO, I like, I tend to be a PED apologist, as you know, from our years working together, but yeah. you know, fi fighters that take things that are derivatives of steroids, I would argue, and I used to argue with doctors that you and I used to have on the show, really, I mean, you're, you're everyone's making weight. So really what those drugs are doing is helping fighters work through injury and recover faster during training camps. There's an advantage to that. But at the end of the day, you step into the uh, octagon against your opponent. You both weigh the same amount. And, and what happens, happens. The insidious and really nightmarish for your opponent perspective of VPO is that, that drug 
actually dramatically improves your cardiovascular performance. Right. And cardiovascular performance, maybe above all else in terms of what you're training to achieve, is integral to success in the sport that we love and cover. Especially at so, like, especially with the style that TJ fights right, with right. and at that weight class. Because TJ, right. he, he's like the Lance Armstrong of MMA in more ways than one because the guy's always on his bicycle moving around. Right. So when your opponent is is using EPO, you know, that's not like, well, maybe he was able to train three or four times more than I did during a training camp. So I'm mad at that guy. No, this guy came in and faced you with a huge and significant advantage inside the octagon during the fight. And I think that's why people are really upset. And then I'm upset also with TJ just because EPO is incredibly dangerous. By improving yeah. your cardiovascular ability, what it's doing is it's adding red blood cells, which uh, people will describe as essentially thickening your blood. So what can happen is a, a stroke or, a, or, a, or a, a massive heart attack by virtue of the effects of the drug. And that's why, you, you know, you see Lance Armstrong as opponents when you've read the books about what he did. They would have to get up in the middle of the night and just pedal the stationary bike because they had to keep the blood moving. It was so wow. thick. They just had to keep it moving all the time. So, you know, it's a terrible thing to have cheated with. I am a little confused, though. Chell Sonnen was busted with EPO. And it didn't seem to stick to the Teflon Don, who's now an ESPN, you know, celebrity MMA guy, as much as it is stuck and tainted TJ Dillashaw. They both have brash, in-your-face personalities. Um, so I don't think it's that. I'm not sure what it is. But TJ, is, uh, it's definitely affected him in a way where, I don't think he'll ever regain the popularity that he had. And I don't think he'll ever face an opponent that doesn't bring it up. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, and, and, and I hope that the opponents who bring it up are all clean themselves because it'd be a, a real shady thing to do to be a cheater just because you haven't been caught. You're calling out another cheater who did get caught. So, I mean, I, I have every reason to believe that Corey Sanhagen is a clean fighter. And if so, he has every right to call TJ out. Uh, Andy Romero writes in, in the comments, it's TJ's fault, and he accepted the fight, talking about the one with Cejudo, but he had no business trying to make 125. He was an actual skeleton on the scale. Yeah, you know, Frank, at the time, like, I, I praised him for, for moving down, although it kind of made more sense to me for Cejudo to, to go up and face him at 135, but I, I did praise TJ for taking that fight and trying to do it, but then if the only way he felt like he could do that and maintain stamina at that weight is to take one of the most dangerous PEDs on the planet, then yeah, I, he shouldn't have done that. But don't you think EPO probably had to be a, a part of his diet before that fight? Is, yeah. is, are we really going to believe that that was the first time and it was because he had to cut a lot of weight? It's fair. No. Fair. No. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right, so I think uh, I think we have the uh, the Kayla Harrison interview uh, working uh, properly. So l l let me let me throw to that. She's going to be fighting at the Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida, nearby the area we're in. I know people watch us from all over the country and all over the world, but uh, geographically close to where Frank and I are. Who's Kayla Harrison? You what, what, what were you going through today? Oh, that's kind of this is like the light day. <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> Great. Wednesday. Then a heavy day. I'd, I'd be sweating just watching you. <laughs> Um, no, so usually we do like um, two, two workouts on Monday, uh, sparring and a, and a drill session on Tuesday, one workout on Wednesday, then two and two on Thursday, Friday, and one on Saturday. So Wednesday is kind of like just a grappling, just drilling, a little bit of live, not, nothing too intense. 
Um, but just staying sharp, getting the reps in. Now, how does like, you know, let's say like a hard day of MMA training, how does that compare to like the hardest days of judo training when you were specializing in that? Um, I mean, I would say they're pretty similar. I think that in judo, I would go to exhaustion a little bit more uh. just because I think it's safer. You know, if you go to exhaustion in MMA, like you might get knocked out in right. sparring, you know, like if your hands come down and you get clipped, like that's, that's CTE, that's dangerous. Um, so I think that in judo, I was able to like, if you get thrown, thrown, like you just stand back up and you're okay. <laughs> so, um, but MMA is mentally, Man, I don't know, because judo is mentally like exhausting just because it's the same thing over and over again. Yeah. MMA I love because yeah. I feel like every day I learn something new, I'm getting better, um, I'm pushing myself. It's, they're pretty similar. What inspired you to make the transition? I just felt like I knew I was done with judo. You know, I was burnt out. I was burnt out before the 2016 Olympics. I knew I was gonna retire no matter what happened. Um, but I didn't feel like I was done athletically. I still felt like I had some gas in the tank and I saw all the success that Rhonda was having. I saw, you know, there was a real opportunity for women to, to come in here and make a name and make a living and, and do great things. Uh, I saw the platform, how big it is, you know, how, how popular it's becoming, how much it's growing. And I didn't want to live with what ifs. You know, I didn't want to be 45 saying, man, what if I had done that? What if I had tried it? So I started training and about a month after I started training, I went to my first sparring session and the first time I got punched in the face, that was it. I was like, <laughs> no, I'm doing this. I will be a fighter. You know, and it's getting, you're, you're 10 and 0 now. And do you, do you still feel like, uh, you know, because I mean, obviously 10, 10 fights, it's, it's a lot, but it's maybe also not that much. Like, do you still feel like you're learning and yes. getting better with every fight? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that we're just scratching the surface of my potential. Um, every day I'm getting better. And I think that what's happening now is that I'm, I'm getting comfortable. You know, I'm, I'm getting confident. I'm starting to believe in myself, believe in my striking, believe in my training. Whereas before I was kind of like faking it till I made it. Like, I'm like, I believe it, but I'm going to go for the takedown right away. Like now I know that I can stand toe to toe with anyone in the world. Is there anything specific maybe about the striking game that you felt like took you kind of the longest to feel comfortable with? I think just relaxing, you know, just like it's, it's hard for someone like me who's a perfectionist to get hit and not feel like I'm losing the fight. Like I, I was always like, if I would get hit in sparring, I would freak out and like go a hundred like balls to the wall. And whereas I realized now like, it's okay. Like you're going to get that back. Patience, patience, take your time, um, pick your shots, hit, not get hit. Um, just relaxing and, and being able by relaxing, having a lot more success. How do you enjoy your time at PFL so far? Because it really is like, you know, I've been an MMA fan for years and I, I think the uniqueness of it and the format and the seasons, I think it's very refreshing. What, what's it like being a part of that? Absolutely. I love um, the, the sport for, formula for MMA. I think that this is the future of MMA. I think obviously the promotions kind of have a boxing feel that you have, they have their history yeah. in boxing where it's, you know, you pick and choose and the pound for pound list is made up and all these things but i think that a sport-based tournament where it's you know you have a, a regular season a playoffs and a championship and every year there's a new championship just like the mlb just like the nfl just like the nba um i think that's the future you know it puts your desk the destiny in the fighter's hands and takes out all of the politics and he said and she's prettier and this and that and i think it's um 
if you if you want MMA MMA to be considered a serious sport, a real sport, this is the kind of thing you have to do. That's well said. But tell me about your fight coming up with Janet Fabian. What are you expecting? I mean, we got a classic, you know, striker versus grappler matchup. She's a six foot tall southpaw striker. I'm a five foot eight, you know, southpaw grappler. And we were actually supposed to fight in 2019 in the playoffs, but she pulled out of the fight. So I've been preparing for this for a while. Um, I'm excited for it. I know she's definitely made a lot of strides. She looks good. She looks on, on form. Um, I think I'm just better. And, and I, I would agree with that. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because you're the one sitting in front of me. Thanks. And, and by the way, of course, with your with your amazing Olympic background, um, are, are you looking forward to? I mean, hopefully, knock on wood, the Olympics go as scheduled. Yeah. Is that something you're still really into? You're going to be watching all yeah, of Yeah, for sure. I, um, I actually got um, offered to commentate for the judo portion. But oh, wow. just because the fight is it's August scheduled. 19th, yeah. I wasn't able to make it happen. But I, I am a huge fan of the Olympics. I have been since... You know, I was six years old and the 96 games were in Atlanta. Nice. Um, my team, one of my very good friends, Angie Delgado, is going to be competing in judo at the 52 kilo category. So everybody cheering her on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch. I think it'll be interesting games, but it's going to be interesting just for me personally, because I'm going to be sitting on the couch instead of, <laughs> you yeah. know, in the it's village. It's going to be a different feel, right? Yeah, for sure. As far as, you know, the, the fight coming up in August, is it nice to be able to fight close to home and not have to do the whole traveling thing, the flights and the hotels? I'm pretty jacked up about it, not going to lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty excited. There's, there's just, uh, I never fought in the regional scene. I didn't do amateur fights, so I've kind of always been traveling doing this doing that and i'm excited to fight just in my backyard att's right here you know I'll, hopefully all of my my teammates better show up or i'm gonna whoop their asses um <laughs> no but it'll be good i'm excited for it yeah as far as uh you know i know you focus on the fights uh you know there there are a lot of stories being written about your, your contract situation and your future mm -hmm. is it ever hard to compartmentalize that stuff and not think about those things and just focus on the fighting um you know, of course, there's always, um, you know, I, I think about those things. I think about, you know, my future, my legacy, what I want to do, where am I going to go, what's going to happen. I think that's just human nature. Like, it's inevitable. I, I think about it, but I just try and remember I have a job to do. And the better I do my job, the higher dollar amount I'm going to have next to my paycheck. And, um, you know, the more lives I can change, the more everything. So... Goal number one, go out there and win my fights. That's it. The rest will take care of itself. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Kayla. It's so nice meeting pleasure. you. Thank you. So really good talking there to Kayla Harrison, uh, PFL. Now, I want to bring in here, we, we got our man standing by, Dean Thomas, MMA coach of the stars. Going to bring in uh, Dean and talk a little UFC. Oh, here he goes. Here he <laughs> is. Looking good, Dean Thomas. So, hey, Dean. What's up, man? <laughs> so nice to see you. But hey, since, since we were, you know, just playing that interview with Kayla Harrison, uh, I'm curious because you, you're you're such a great MMA mind. You're, of course, a nine-time UFC veteran, MMA coach to the stars. You know, if Kayla were to end up in the UFC, of course, she'd have to cut down probably to 145. How do you think she would do against the top competition in women's MMA? Because she is so good at judo and the rest is coming along for her. I mean, she would still dominate in the UFC. I mean, the only person who will give her a problem is Amanda, you know? Yeah. So, and I mean, Amanda is probably, Amanda's better. So like Amanda would beat her in my opinion, 
But I mean, other than that, like, you know, Kayla would dominate in the UFC. I can't imagine anybody else beating her. Can you imagine anybody beating Amanda? We were talking about that earlier in the show, Dean. <laughs> like, Misha Tate's return, what's the point, right? I mean, eventually you run into <laughs> Amanda Nunes. So, like, why are you even doing it? Listen, we could, us three could try to jump her in the parking lot. We're going to lose. She won't even be looking. She's going to turn, start swinging, knock us all out. <laughs> oh man dean thomas is with us here on five rounds you know dean speaking of uh of incredible prospects i don't even know if you call this guy a prospect anymore you know islam mahachev who just he looks better and better with every fight and i i think he may have a little issue just finding opponents because he's not a huge name and he is so dangerous he's now ranked number five in the ufc lightweight rankings after submitting uh tiago moises uh in, and people do they compare him so much to khabib you know they're friends they're both dagestani they fight similarly so that's going to happen uh do you think makachev could be as good or close to as good as his mentor yeah i mean that's the talk that everybody's saying like if you look at his record he's been pretty dominant you know his only loss is you know he got clipped by adriano martins early on in his career i mean that could have happened to anybody but other than that he's been dominant i mean he's on pace to being, you know, the next best thing. But I don't think he's going to have a hard time finding too many opponents because now that he's ranked number five, I think more people will be more willing to fight him. And that's really what it is. Like, fighters aren't scared to fight other guys, really. They just need to make sure that the prize is worth it. You know, they don't want to fight him when he's ranked number 15. They want to make sure he's ranked higher so that it really does something for them. So I think there's guys that will fight him. They're, they probably don't want to, but and but they will. But you know, it, time will tell on how on the potential this kid has. Dean, uh, when you're handling fighters, so you you just mentioned Islam now jumps up to five. So before he's chasing everybody, trying to get a fight, begging everybody to fight him. But say he's your fighter, and then all of a sudden he's five. Now are you telling him, no, 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 we're holding out for one of the top four guys, and that's it. Or does he take a fight against a lower-ranked guy? Like Alex was arguing earlier in the show, fight RDA, fight something, get a little more experience before you get into that, you know, top-tier competition. No, he's. I mean, the thing is, he's going to have to because, like, all those other guys seem to be tied up. So he, I don't think he can fight higher. And you know, he called it like the thing is like when you call your shot. This is this is what happened with Wonder Boy and Woodley. When when Wonder Boy was when Woodley fought Robbie Lawler. Woodley was supposed to lose. Wonder Boy was like, oh, can't wait to fight Robbie. Can't wait to fight Robbie. Can't wait to fight Robbie. Turns around, Robbie got knocked out. And Woodley was like, I thought you wanted to fight Robbie. So same, yeah, same thing goes for Islam. Like, he's calling all these guys out. But now he's ranked higher. Hey, you still got to fight those guys. You called them out. So, like, if you yeah. if you want to fight, you got to fight. You're right. You know, spe speaking of Wonder Boy, you brought him up there. So yeah, a couple of weeks ago at UFC 264, uh, he, he lost to Gilbert Burns. Um, I thought I thought Gilbert had a really good game plan, and he fought, He did what he had to do to win the fight. And yet he gets criticized by Dana White and by a bunch of fans. They thought the fight was boring. As a coach, you can speak on this. Because, Dean, from my perspective, I think when you're going up against a guy who has such a complex fighting style like Wonder Boy – if I'm Gilbert Burns, I'm not thinking about fireworks. I'm just thinking about winning. Like, I don't care if I'm getting booed. I don't care if the fans are bored. I just want to get my hand raised because that's the type of opponent. If I make a mistake, 
he's going to capitalize on it. So I had no problem with the way that Gilbert Burns performed in that fight. Listen, you can't tell me one guy that's looked good against Wonder Boy. No one has looked. I mean, even Pettis was losing that fight until he won. You yeah. know, they, Woodley got fighter tonight that first time, but the second time it was the or or the first time it was fight tonight, but the second time it was the worst fight in history is what they were saying. So like. No one has ever looked good against Wonder Boy. So you got to start looking at the common denominator here. The common denominator is Wonder Boy, not the other guys. Wonder Boy is the reason why guys fight boring because he's so good at what he does. You can't allow him to do that. So you have to fight him in a way that doesn't really make for a fan friendly fight. So, you know, it's one. I mean, Wonder Boy is a great fighter. And I'm not saying that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that he's just so hard to fight that you can't fight him for entertainment's sake. Right. Yeah, I, I want to get your take uh, on a fight. I do think it's going to be really entertaining this weekend. TJ Dillashaw makes his return from a two-year PED suspension, taking on uh, a guy I love to watch in Corey Sandhagen, who is really long. I mean, he's very tall. I think he's like 5'11", which is freakishly tall for 135. He uses his length very well. He's coming off of two highlight reel knockout wins. Now, it's kind of hard for me to handicap this fight to an exact science because TJ's been away for so long. And, you know, of course, he got to make sure he's not on EPO this time, right? Because if he gets popped again, your career is basically over. So we know he's probably got to keep things on the up and up. Under normal circumstances, I, I, I guess I would give pre-suspension, I would give TJ the edge because he fights so smart and he's got – you know, he's more well-rounded because he can mix in the wrestling. I think he's got more ways to win. But Sandhagen is really, really tough, and he's a great striker. Like, how do you see this fight playing out? It's difficult, but like you said, like the sample size of TJ's performances is so is so small because he hasn't been fighting in a while, so we don't know how he's going to look. We've never really seen him fight against this style of fighter. I mean, TJ looked great against Henan Burrell. You know, when he's standing still against guys that are standing still. But we're talking about a guy who fights essentially like he does. Switches stances, moves his feet, punches and kicks from different angles, but he's longer. So, like, that gives him the advantage. The only advantage I really see TJ having here is the, in the wrestling. You know, Corey Sanhagen doesn't wrestle very well for that division. So, I mean, he's a great, great fighter, but he doesn't wrestle well. And he's kind of a slow starter, so TJ kind of has to jump on him early and set the set the stage early. But if you ask me, I'm giving Sanhagen the advantage here in terms of the fight. The reason being is because he's been more fresh, and he he took this fight without batting an eye. Like he, he didn't have to take this fight, but he took it without batting an eye. So like that tells us something about his confidence going into this fight. He knows something that we don't know, you know. TJ had to take this fight. Corey was like, yeah, I'll fight that dude. <laughs> I used to mop him up every day. That's why what he's thinking. Yeah. So I have to give him the advantage going into the fight psychologically and then also physically because of the length advantage. How D much oh, I'm sorry. Dean, am, am I being a hater if I say that we this might be the first time in a while that we've seen TJ Dillashaw fighting without the benefit of performance enhancing drugs like EPO, because that could make a big difference in this fight. Yeah. And that too. I mean, we, I mean, obviously like if he got caught for doing EPO and, and you know, these steroids, how long has he been doing it? Right. So, and I'm more than willing to bet, like it wasn't 
you know, his first time getting caught. Like, oh, this was my first time. Now I got caught. I'm sure he's right. Yeah. Wow. You know, so if he hasn't been doing it, what we know of most guys who take steroids is it also is a psychological thing as well. And when they're not Mm -hmm. on it, they're just not as special psychologically. And they know that they're very well aware of their shortcomings when they're not on it. And that plays a big factor in the fight and the performance. So it'll be interesting to see. I think we're going to know right away if, um, if, if he's clean or not, because he will fight a little differently. We got to let uh, Dean Thomas run in a second. Before we do that, Dean, let people know where they can find you, man. And of course, you, you're doing big things. I see you. I see you on like every U, every UFC reality show. You're all over the place. You're all over social media. You're all over Palm Beach Radio. Where can Alex, he's, find he's skyrocketed, and he didn't take us with him, man. Come on, yeah, he, he went to the moon. He left us on Earth. <laughs> Frank, I was asking about you the other day, Frank. I was like, Yo, anybody seen Frank? I was like, Man, he ain't on social media. Nobody's seen them. <laughs> I was like, dog. So, but no, listen, I'm everywhere you can find me at Dean Thomas, Dean spelled D-I-N Thomas. I just try to, I just try to provide, man. You know what I'm saying? I try to make sure that um I got a lot of knowledge and information. I don't want to die with it. And, you know, life ain't promised. So I want to be able to provide every day something new, something fresh, and just be out there because, you know, and, and just serve as a good role model for people, man. So, like, you're going to find me everywhere. I just hope y'all don't get tired of me. You know what I'm saying? Don't no. get sick of me. you. <laughs> yeah, I just, but I want to provide, man. I want to make sure that that I provide as much as I can, information, knowledge, you know, good times, smiles, and laughs, so that so that you know we can all live in a better place. You know, I've known Dean Frank since before there was any gray in that goatee of his. Yeah, man. <laughs> I know. All them powdered donuts, man. Got that got me. <laughs> well, enjoy your evening, my friend. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right, fellas. Peace. See you, Dean. Good stuff there from Dean. Uh, in about 10 minutes, we're going to talk with another good friend of ours, former professional fighter, J.P. Reese. Before we get to some more good stuff here on Five Rounds, I want to talk about the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. The problem with talking about the Quarterdeck is every time I talk about the delicious food, I start to get hungry. The buffalo shrimp that is my favorite appetizer on the planet. The buffalo shrimp at the quarter deck is so good. I could eat three orders of it, man. I love the seafood at the quarter deck. The sushi is fresh. Sushi Mike's creations are amazing. They have poke bowls. You can build your own at the quarter deck. I usually take advantage of that. That's one of my favorite menu items. I tried a new menu item recently. I was at the quarter deck a few weeks ago, and they have now a jerk chicken sandwich. And it's really spicy. I mean, I I love spicy food. It made me sweat a little bit. It was really good. I got tater tots on the side, which are awesome. You can get tater tots or you can get fries or mac and cheese. There are so many options at the Quarter Deck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. But I always tell people, save at least a little room for dessert. Because the Key Lime Cheesecake, that is the perfect way to finish every meal. The cocktails are awesome at the Quarter Deck. The beer is always cold. And this is the most important thing to remember if you're a fight fan. And I figure anybody watching this and listening to this is probably a fight fan. They have every UFC pay-per-view fight at the quarter deck for zero cover charge. You pay nothing at the door to watch these big UFC fights. And, of course, it's not just the pay-per-views. There's a fight night card. Roll in there. Watch it at the quarter deck. But for the pay-per-view events, no cover charge. You want to check them out on the web. If you want to peep their menu, if you want to find the location nearest to you, visit them at quarterdeckrestaurants.com. The quarter deck, 
Come for the food, stay for the fun. You know, Frank, I was watching uh, a couple days ago uh, an interview with Dana White. I think it was on the Fox Business Channel. And they were talking to him about the fact that throughout the pandemic, the UFC was really the first domestic sports league to come back and start putting on events again, right? I mean, very early on, they were putting on shows in Jacksonville, then they went over to Fight Island, and then they opened up the the Apex Training Center. They were doing events, and, and really for a couple of months there, Frank, if you wanted to watch live sports, you really your only options were you could wake up at 6 a.m. and watch Korean baseball on ESPN2, or you could watch these UFC Fight Night events. And I, I thought Dana actually made a fair point. He said... During the pandemic, um, the UFC created more fans. And and I think he's right, because I do know a few people that, you know, that either were not fans whatsoever or they were kind of casuals and then they became hardcores during the pandemic because they didn't have any competition. I mean, normally that time of year, you know, you're going up against uh, when they when the UFC got back, you'd be going up against like playoff NBA basketball, you'd be going up against Major League Baseball and some other things. Like, they were basically running unopposed in the sports landscape, and, and I think they made more fans because of that. I think uh, I think you're right. I think the proof is in the numbers. But I was concerned initially when they started going back in ahead of everyone else, even though the sport really sets itself up to do that right? right it's not like a basketball game or a football game or something where you have all these movies i mean it's two fighters some corner guys if you eliminate the audience the ref the judges you know it, you really can bubble that up and and make that safe and they proved that they could do it and do it successfully but i was concerned because the covidian pitchforkers on social media were of course chanting that the ufc was putting people's lives in danger and all that and i thought a sport that has fought so hard for so many years to prove itself as an actual sport and not what some politicians have said over the years, human cockfighting, et cetera. So, you know, then you have it like, Oh, now we don't care about COVID and you know, like we don't care about people dying and that sort of thing uh, was <coughs> alarming or concerning to me as a fan. But I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I could see it. I could see it in the bars, you know, uh, fans were sports starved people that would have never considered watching it had to turn it on because it was the only thing live and real that they could watch. And by the way, Alex, bet on because gambling yeah. is something people love to do. And in the <laughs> absence of sport, you had the absence of the greatest hobby in America today. You had the absence of gambling. So, um, you know, that people got involved in it. And when you get involved in something and you bring gambling along with it, you know what you have to do? You have to learn a lot about it. You have yeah. to really invest. And that investment brings loyalty. And, you know, people stick around for it. So, yeah, I think he's right. Frank, as an avid gambler, I can remember just how tough it was to find any action before even the UFC came back, okay? Yeah. Like, I'm talking, like, April, early May of last year when things had just shut down, wasn't shit going on. I can remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, Rob Pizzola, who is a, a professional sports gambler. He does it for a living. I, I just lose small amounts of money over and over and over again. He actually wins and does it for a living. And I can remember talking to him probably late April of last year and saying, like, Rob, you're a professional sports better. Like, what, what are you doing? There's nothing going on. And then he started to give me these detailed breakdowns of a push-up competition that was coming up. 
and how he had studied he had studied hours of tape on one yeah. of the one of the push up I, I think it was actually it wasn't even like there wasn't even multiple people it was one guy trying to break a record like it was one guy who was trying to break like the all time push up record and then how Rob many Moore, get how many did he get how I don't remember but, but he record? but he broke the record and like Rob like correctly predicted you know the over under of it so like he actually won money I didn't have the balls to actually and you know what I probably couldn't even find like a place to bet on that because he's a member of like fifty sports books so he found odds for it somewhere so like it got so bad for sports betters there for a while that I knew people that were betting on push up competitions is how bad that thing got. Uh, hey, in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by J.P. Reese. I, I want to get into it with you, Frank, a little bit. We were talking with Dean about the T.J. Dillashaw-Corey Sanhagen fight. Sanhagen, he's he's one of my favorites to watch. I mean, he basically killed Frankie Edgar in yeah. his last fight. 28 yeah. seconds, hit him with one of the most brutal jumping knees you've ever seen. And Edgar, like a lot of times you'll see a guy get knocked out and they gracefully fall to the floor. Edgar was unconscious the second Sandhagen's knee hit him in the face, okay? Yeah. In the fight prior to that, Sandhagen uh, gave a nap to Marlon Moraes with a spinning back kick. Like this guy, not only is he dangerous, Corey Sandhagen looks like he enjoys violence more than a normal human being should. So but he doesn't actually look like but he doesn't actually look like that, right? He's a little deceptive that way, yeah, at least yeah. in my opinion. And Marlon Moraes and uh, Frank Yeager, two of the toughest people in the division. So starching both of them is uh, super impressive. You can say what you want to about old man Edgar. It's not like he he takes dirt naps that often. He's usually pretty no. tough to go three full rounds or five full rounds, whatever it is. Um, I, I'm leaning Sanhagen in this fight. He's about a minus 180 favorite, but I, I still, I have the same caution. I, I haven't decided exactly if I'm going to bet on this fight or how heavily I'm going to go on it because still when it comes to the, the methods of victory and the places he could take this fight, TJ Dillashaw is a concerning matchup for Corey Sanhagen or anybody because TJ, he's definitely the better wrestler. Sanhagen has big striking advantages. TJ has excellent footwork, as does Sanhagen, but TJ is the better wrestler. Uh, I'm leaning to Sanhagen because of activity, which is so important in the sport. And, you know, he's been getting better every single time we see him, with the exception of, though, Frank, when he fought Aljamain Sterling, got taken down and submitted. So that's the concern that Sanhagen on paper does have a vulnerability to the ground game. So that's where my concern comes in. I think Sanhagen wins this fight, but it's not impossible that TJ pulls off the upset. But TJ's berserker wrestling style is, is, is harnessed by what aptitude, Alex? Cardiovascular stamina. If, if Sanhagen can handle the initial minutes of that fight and the intensity that TJ will try to bring then, I think we all get to see the post-EPO TJ Dillashaw. That will be a slower, more predictable fighter who's actually trying to manage cardio. And then I think the striking of Sanhagen, I think he just tears him up. The height and reach length disadvantage is going to be horrendous for TJ. And these guys have trained together before, Frank, years ago at the Muscle Farm in Colorado. 
And I saw somebody somebody dug up like an old video, uh, a video interview of TJ. It was either right before or right after he became Bantamweight champion for the first time. And like he was talking about how like he was still working so hard to get better. And he even mentioned that this was before Sanhagen was even in the UFC. Like he even mentioned like, hey, like there's this guy in our gym, Corey Sanhagen, that, you know, gives me a really hard time in sparring and like watch out for this guy and now about six years later they're about to square off in the octagon and you hear all these stories i mean listen whatever happens in sparring you know you hear legends that come out of sport when you're talking about sparring sessions where you don't see leaked video and and you're going based on secondhand and thirdhand stories they become tall tales I have heard those some stories about Sanhagen really punishing Dillashaw in sparring and like really kicking his ass in sparring. Now that's striking only stuff, right? So that 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 takes away the element of wrestling. But Sanhagen has given him problems in the gym before. And I love what Dean said. When you're cheating with a with a with a with a drug like that, it does psychologically give you the feeling that you're entering the octagon with a weapon. You know, that you have right. extra armament on and it gives you it changes your confidence level, changes your attitude, changes everything. And then when you suddenly strip that away, there, there's a different psychology. But it's so smart. They brought that up because it's not just not having the cardiovascular ability. It's knowing that you don't and how that affects you, how it affects your preparation, how it affects your attitude inside the cage, how, how it affects your ability to handle duress and bad moments. And I'm. I think we're going to see a very different TJ Dillashaw. I mean, I might eat my words, but I really can't imagine that that was the first time that he cheated. EPO is like, you know, they say like drugs move in a progression, recreational drugs. And like you start with something and then you end up, you know, in an alley with a, with so, a, with a, you know, a, a needle in your arm or something. So, so you know, EPO, EPO, EPO is the heroin. Is, yeah. EPO, right. EPO is the heroin. I mean, you don't just start with EPO, man. You're starting <laughs> with other stuff. And you start you get, with creatine and that's the gateway yeah, drug. Yeah. And then you get to the stuff that actually turns your blood to molasses. For oh the love God. of God, man. I mean, it is, that's Lance Armstrong's drug. So well, that's the tour to tour de France drug. Let's bring in our next special guest on this episode. Been a friend of Frank and mine for many, many years. In fact, I've called some of this man's fights before when he was gracing the Fight Time Promotions cage. Former professional fighter, now full-time dad and an awesome human being. J.P. Reese joins us here on Five Rounds on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Oh, my, my dude, he is living the life, man. He's outside, the palm trees, he's got the shades on. JP, how you doing, my friend? Hey, I'm good. Uh, you know, I had plans for happy hour in Delray Beach, so I couldn't I couldn't interrupt that, but I could step away to talk a little <laughs> bit about MMA. It's good to see oh, you guys. Man. I haven't seen you guys in so long. Frank, you never answer my phone calls. I'm sorry, bro. I, I reached out to you. I told you the gang is back. The show is back, so we expect to see a lot more of you. Can you hear me? I was at Dive Bar last week. I forgot to even text you. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can yeah, hear I think there's a little bit of a delay, but we, we'll, we'll work through it. Yeah, he must be using a droid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> iPhone 11 Max, buddy. Just, okay. <laughs> I just can't get, over, I can't get over how badass he looks in those giant shades. You know, those look yeah. like the shades 
that Schwarzenegger wore in Terminator Part One. Do you remember that one? Like the first yes. Terminator film? Those are the shades. I mean, it's yeah, you know, it's, it's a retro feel, but uh, you know, it, just, it looks more badass when I when I wear them, especially when the sun's about to go down because you just got to keep the shades on. You know, I wanted to ask you, JP. This ties into the conversation that Frank and I were just having. You know, talking a little bit about TJ Dillashaw. You know, before we get into your expectations for the fight itself against Corey Sanhagen, uh, Dillashaw is coming back from a two-year suspension for EPO which is Frank described it as the heroin of performance enhancing drugs. It's a, a very, very serious PED. And I, I do, I, I notice because whenever I read and hear comments that other fighters are making about TJ, there's a lot of resentment there. Like there's a lot of resentment from the fact that this guy was using that, was caught using that. Corey Sanhagen will not let him forget about it. Like if you were in, in a situation, T, uh, JP, where you were, you know, going to be fighting a guy who was, you know, just coming off a suspension for that, or maybe you were a previous opponent of his and lost to him, and now you're wondering, was this guy doped up when he fought me? I mean, how, how do you think a pro fighter feels about somebody who does something like that? Well, you know, I, I've been in situations as crazy as this sounds where I've been picked up by the promotions people, and they tried to convince me that I need to go take an injection of steroids because my opponent was into steroids. So that that's, um, it's not anything I really concern myself with. Uh, I think guys, when they actually step into the cage, they're not really too concerned too much about what the other guy's been doing. It's more about what you've been doing. So that's where your focus is. Um, you know, I, I really was surprised that TJ Dillashaw was, you know, labeled a cheater and that he actually got busted for this stuff. Um, but I still feel like he has that, wrestler mentality where maybe he can move past that and he can still have a good performance in this upcoming fight um i still consider him the favorite i think he wins this fight but uh but yeah i, I have to say i'm very disappointed that a wrestler would go out of his way to put himself in a situation where he's cheating and he's now he's labeled a cheater for the rest of his career like that'll never change jp i was talking earlier that the problem with epo is that it really legitimately gives you an advantage fight night. You know, you could argue that, you know, if he was taking a, some other kind of steroid, maybe it helped him get through some injury in camp or something like that. But EPO, that changes your whole cardiovascular stamina level. I mean, and, and really substantially based on what Lance Armstrong revealed, et cetera. So that's why I kind of think that it's like the pinnacle of cheating in some respects. And you brought up wrestling. Wrestling is all about cardiovascular stamina. And, you know, so for him to do that, it, does this change? Are we going to see a different kind of fighter? I mean, he might be a guy that's going to be a little bit more balls to the wall at the beginning of the fight because maybe he right. has some kind of self-doubt that I'm not aware of that, you know, maybe he thinks he's going to fade later in the fight. So he's going to come out. He's, he's, you know, he's impressed us many times with some of his performances. Uh, so he's going to have to put some nice combinations together in this fight. And really dust up this guy, Cody. Um, you know, that's that's kind of on the outside looking in what I might expect. So, and I think TJ's still got a lot of talent. He's young still. I think he's going to win this fight. That's just how I feel. I hate to say it. You know, guys, you guys know more than anybody, like, I can't stand these cheaters. Yeah. And uh, cheating in MMA, that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate no-no in my book. 
And 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 to elaborate on that, it's got to be because in in this sport, unlike something like track and field, if you if you cheat in MMA, this is a sport where it's causing you to potentially hit somebody harder and inflict you know permanent damage on someone. Like it, it's one thing to cheat, you know, if you're you're running uh, you know 40, 40 yards, but it's another thing when you're actually smashing people in the face. I mean, it's 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 a deadly sport. You know, I was actually researching uh, one of my teammates that's getting ready for a fight, and I looked up the guy he might fight, and the guy actually killed somebody in the ring. So that's a real thing that actually happens. Um, You know, it doesn't happen very often, but, you know, they before fights even start, all pro fighters get that lecture of, you know, this is a life-or-death sport in some cases, and, you know, just seconds of delaying the doctor to get into the cage could cost somebody their life. So, you know, that's an element that, you know, from on the outside looking in, I know these fights are on ESPN now, but the truth is it's a very, very dangerous sport and it's, you know, it's not for the unprepared. You know, I wanted to ask you about uh, something, part of the aftermath of Dustin Poirier's victory over Conor McGregor, the most recent one. And, and Frank and I both enjoyed that immensely. And I'm sure you did as well, because you're, you're a big Dustin Poirier fan as we are. You know, now you hear, and because and Conor, Conor used to be a graceful loser. Like what it used to be when Conor would lose a fight, was complimentary of his opponent, didn't make a whole lot of excuses. That's really changed. And I don't know, it's probably because Conor realizes you can't afford to lose too many more fights before people stop caring about you. Uh, you know, with the way he was like trash talking, even Dustin's wife after the fight, I didn't like that. But then what really annoyed me about McGregor is this excuse making over his injury before the fight, right? I mean, he, his leg breaks in half during the fight. And now he comes out afterwards and says, oh, he had stress fractures in that leg and and that's why he lost the fight and that the commission doctors knew he had stress fractures. And, yeah, I, I thought that Dustin Poirier was right to come out afterwards and call Connor mentally weak for making those excuses because, JP, you know this as well as anybody. You're preparing for MMA fights and you're going through that grind in the gym training for this. Nobody goes into a fight 100% or anywhere close to 100%. And this guy is like trying to make fans feel like, oh, well, Connor didn't lose the fight legitimately. He lost because he had stress fractures. The, the whole thing turns me off a lot. You know, you got these Connor fanboys that are saying, oh, well, it's because he was hurt. So they're, they're totally buying into that garbage that Connor's spewing. You know, Dustin beat him up again. Like, that's, that's just a fact. Like, he beat him up, you know, earlier this year. And then they go out and have this little melee. And, you know, Connor was hoping to jump on Dustin early, did some spinning attacks to start the fight. After that, no offense whatsoever, in my opinion. No offense. Connor started landing, or excuse me, Dustin started landing some nice, heavy combinations and wearing on him. And then, isn't it hilarious that Connor is the first one to turn to some type of grappling technique where he's trying to get a takedown on Dustin? And then Dustin capitalizes that and getting on top. And, you know what, two of the three judges called it a 10 round. Like, it was a one-sided first round, whether you want to admit it or not. And how would that fight have gone if it did go an extra couple rounds? Like, Connor would have – it might have been a 10-7 or a 10-6 round or, you know, the obvious stoppage, which I think would have played too. 
Yeah, no, well said. J.P. Reese joining us here on Five Rounds. Hey, J.P., before we let you go and get back to happy hour, it, it looks lovely out there, my friend. Where can people find you, where they can find you on social media, everything you have going on? Oh, you know, it's uh, I, I'm still coaching wrestling, so American Heritage is uh, looking prime for next year. We're past nice. this COVID stuff, so I'm looking forward to that stuff. Uh, I have been getting back in the gym quite a bit. I just got done training Charles Rosa. He just won his last recent MMA fight. I love him. Uh, yeah, my good buddy Johnny Ablin just won his Bellator fight. He looked really good in that fight. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like I'm just kind of itching back. Hey, buddy, that's mine. That's my bag. No, no, this is mine. Thank you. Sorry. All right. Hey, on the radio. All right, we're good. Well, we got that sorted out. Yeah, so, someone just tried to someone just tried to jack my food. I, I got my food to go. And the guy just tried to steal my food. Hey, so, it just uh, proves you in South Florida, you never know what you're running into. You think you're jacking somebody's food. You think maybe he's an easy mark. He's got the selfie stick and the camera going. You don't know he's a professional. What, what's easy? Be what's careful. easy about this mark, guys? This, this is uh, this is uh, this is a dangerous, dangerous weapon here. I wouldn't mess with yeah. that dude. Uh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah well, but anyway, hey man, good to connect with you guys. Thanks for having me on here. You too, man. We'll, we'll make it back. a regular we'll thing. We back. missed you. Yeah. Thanks, JP. Thanks, yeah, JP. Don't forget, don't forget me, guys. I'll see ya. I won't. We never forget the little people. <laughs> Good stuff there from JP Reese. You know, I, I think uh, I, we, we got we got a few more things to get into over the next fifteen minutes. So I want uh, I, I'm going to task Manny Chang with uh, with posting the rest of our video interviews on YouTube because uh, we also have uh, James Walker who sat down with Rory McDonald. I sat down as well with Antonio Carlos Jr. He told the story, Frank. It was pretty scintillating stuff. Uh, if, if and this is why I'm a real journalist, Frank. Okay, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna interview if I'm gonna interview a pro fighter whose nickname is Shoe Face, you bet your ass that's my first question out of the gate. Is how did someone get a nickname like that? Like I, I I've seen Antonio Carlos Jr. interviewed before. And I, I don't I don't recall if I've heard anyone else ask him that question. Like, how do you sit down with a man who goes by shoe face and not get the story behind that? You have to ask. And, you know, what I love about his nickname and all really good nicknames, and we've talked about this before, they're nicknames that other people assign to you. Yes, bingo. Uh, you know, don't like don't like it when people pick their own nicknames. Never works out well. And you know Antonio didn't pick uh, shoe face. <laughs> and he, spoiler alert, he didn't. But he told me yeah. the story of where it came from, and he revealed to me he doesn't like it too much. But he, he, he's, yeah. he's a man. He goes by the nickname. He sticks with it. Um, Frank, we have, we have more of these uh, freak show boxing fights coming up. Did you see the latest one that is, is getting booked here, potentially? I don't think this is 100% confirmed yet, but we're moving in this direction. YouTube's Logan Paul is going to be fighting again under the Triller banner. And he is going to be fighting against Anderson Silva. Anderson the Spider Silva, one of the greatest of all time. Like one of the greatest fighters of all time in MMA is going to be stepping into a boxing ring against a, a very, very unnaturally blonde YouTuber uh, who just comes off, you know, a, an exhibition with Floyd Mayweather. I mean... Does Logan Paul versus Anderson Silva in the boxing ring do anything for you? 
Absolutely. Well, first of all, you know what really pisses me off about this is that Anderson Silva could have done all these things that Conor McGregor is now famous for. Mm -hmm. You know, back when Anderson Silva was ruling the middleweight division, what did he want? He wanted an exhibition boxing match with none other than Roy Jones Jr. That would have been phenomenal. Yes. But he couldn't get it, you know, and, uh, you know, you flash forward and Conor McGregor is able to bully his way into a exhibition match with Floyd Mayweather. And, you know, the, the, the benefit to the sport of MMA, the benefit to the sport of boxing, the benefit to everybody's pockets that promoted that thing proves that they should have thought that through before. Anderson Silva, though, unlike Conor McGregor, is actually a pretty good boxer. He's boxed before. He just boxed recently against Julio Chavez uh, Jr. Um, and did really well. And, and, and the parts I watched, Alex, had that signature, you know, head movement, taunting, hands down stuff that he was famous for when he was ruling the middleweight octagon. Um, so we'll see more of that. And look, I don't care who he's boxing. I mean, this will get a lot of eyes on him, but I like seeing yeah. Anderson be able to get into a sport that I knew he would have been good at before and at least try his hand at it before he's gone. He's timeless, man. The guy doesn't yeah. age. I mean, it's just incredible that in his, what, he's approaching his late 40s, that he's able to continue doing these spectacular things. He's a lot left to give us athletically, and I think it's in the boxing ring that he can give it to us. And so uh, I, I look forward to it. I mean, you know, uh, Paul Paul will be an easy opponent for Anderson, but I don't care. I want to see Anderson box. You know, I think Logan Paul is actually going to struggle more with Anderson Silva than he did with Floyd Mayweather, just because of Anderson's size and length. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying Anderson Silva is a better boxer than Floyd Mayweather, because I'm not stupid. But as far as just the matchup goes, Anderson is so much bigger and so much longer. And I also noticed that when Floyd takes these fights. You know, he, he he goes easy on on his opponents. He went easy on Connor. He went very easy on Logan Paul. He's a showman. He wants to yeah. He wants to carry you for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I I don't I don't think Anderson is going to do that. I think Anderson is going to try to knock out Logan Paul in highlight real fashion and probably will. What what will the weight class be? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what will the weight class be? Um, well, it's it's I think Logan Paul is probably around Anderson Silva's size. So I because because but, but his size how I think I think Paul's around two oh five maybe kind of yeah. walking around yeah. you know not cutting weight. So I'm just curious where they're going to fight this. Out. I don't know. Cause, well, because even when when Logan Paul fought Floyd Mayweather, he was a lot heavier than him, right? I mean, it was an unsanctioned yeah. exhibition, so they didn't really care what the guys weighed, but he was a lot heavier. Than Mayweather, I think Logan Paul is probably going to be roughly, I mean, maybe give or take 10 pounds or so, but roughly the same size as Anderson Silva. Uh, another another fight that is is already made, and it's actually, they've announced it's going to be an actual professional boxing match, not an exhibition. This is going to count against records and all that. Our guy, Mr. Steroid Island, Vitor Belfort, is going to fight Oscar De La Hoya. That is, uh, I, I actually, I find that to be more interesting because, you know, Oscar is is one of the better boxers I've ever watched. Uh, you know, Vitor, obviously a good striker for MMA, not for boxing. I find this to be fascinating. I do too. And, I, you know, in this matchup, okay, you have a, an Oscar De La Hoya, you have uh, at the highest level of, of boxing acumen, kind of like a Floyd Mayweather in terms of the skill and understanding of the sport that he has. And then you have Vitor, 
who was famous for his kind of blitzkrieg punching style, which has absolutely nothing to do with the sweet science of boxing right. and everything to do with an application of striking in MMA. So it would be interesting to see if Vitor is actually learning boxing or if he's going to come in with that Brazilian MMA blitzkrieg style and maybe just get dropped right away. Um, I don't know, but I'll be intrigued to see it too. And Vitor is another one that just, you know, these Brazilians seem to have nine lives when it comes to sports. So, uh, you know, he seems to be going on. He'll be, how old is Vitor now? He has to be approaching my age. He's, he's, in, he's definitely in his forties. He's no, no yeah. question. No question. He's in his forties. Uh, but by the way, before we get into a, uh, a tweet that I made yesterday that had people yelling at me uh, from the top of their lungs, did you see there was a little verbal social media spat? You're not on social media much, so maybe you didn't see it. But Gilbert Burns, Gilbert Burns called out Nate Diaz. Uh, he asked Nate on social media to fight him. And Nate Diaz said he would rather fight the guy who knocked out both Gilbert Burns and George <laughs> Masvidal, which is Kamara Usman. So you got to love Nate Diaz. He gets called out by one of the better welterweights on planet Earth because Gilbert Burns, I rate him. He is very good. He calls out Nate Diaz, and Gilbert Burns is a much higher-ranked fighter right now than Nate Diaz. And Diaz comes back and says, no, I'm not fighting you. I want to fight the champ. I want to fight Kamara Usman. That, that is from the Diaz brothers' playbook, and I absolutely love it. And let's not forget, Nick is coming back in September to fight Robbie Lawler. So I'm the Diaz brothers show, I am here for it. Yeah, man. I look. I, I Gilbert Burns, smart move, right? He knows he's gonna have to sit around and wait for another crack at Kamara Usman. So why not get a big payday? Uh, right. But he should have known better than to, to try to get the fight the way he did. I mean, he walked right into Nate Diaz's trap there. I mean, Nate Diaz. I mean, he probably had to Google who Gilbert Burns was, right? <laughs> when he saw the when he saw the call out. So Gilbert Burns, phenomenal fighter. But let's be serious, right? Casual MMA fans are just getting to know him. No yeah. way that Diaz is either one of them give a crap about this guy. So, no, that fight's not going to happen. So, Frank, yesterday I was at American Top Team, the main gym in Coconut Creek. Again, huge shout out, not only to ATT for opening their doors to some media members, because they don't do that all the time. I mean, it's it's a private gym. They have the pro fighters that train there. It's not usually open to the public. So they let us in their doors and, and they allowed us to take some photographs and, and look around and watch some training. And so near like the lobby area in the lobby of ATT, they have this gigantic trophy case with all of the gold title belts that their fighters have won over the years in the UFC, the championship belt, Bellator, you know, they have all these gold belts and they're in one big trophy case. And then off to the side in a trophy case, all its own displayed in all its splendor. They have the infamous BMF, title that was awarded to ATT's Jorge Masvidal for beating by cut stoppage, mind you, because the Diaz brothers don't really lose. They just get cut or they run out of time. But George Masvidal earned the BMF title for beating Nate Diaz. And so I, I took a photo of it and I tweeted out that, you know, it, to me, that is the most prestigious championship. You can see the tweet here. As far as I'm concerned, this is the most prestigious title in combat sports. Hashtag BMF, and I tagged game-bred fighter George Masvidal. And the, the tweet was getting some traction, Frank. Masvidal actually retweeted it, 
His manager, Malky Kawa, who has a lot of Twitter followers as well, retweeted it as well. And what do you think happened to my mentions? And I'm still getting them like 36 <laughs> hours later. Dude, people are outraged. Oh, they're bringing up the fact that, oh, Masvidal got slept against Kamaru Usman, got knocked out cold, but the belt wasn't up for grabs. It's a fake title. I love the fact that people take me so seriously and so literally that I'm getting trash-talked by people from all over the world. I'm getting trash-talked by Russians. I'm getting trash-talked by Slovenians and uh, Croatians and Americans. They're all going after me, Frank. Uh, are you going to defend me or are you going to attack me like all these Twitter critics? I'm going to defend you. And we Ooh. talked about this a couple of shows ago. Uh, you know, the BMF, we, we need a BMF class of fighters like i mean look the nate diaz call out of uh george masvidal maybe one of the top call outs that has ever happened in the ufc because nate diaz you can say what you want about him but the self-awareness to know that that's the guy i want to fight because he acts and represents the sport of fighting the way i do i mean it was a clash of coasts it was a clash of tough cities um, it was a clash of, of, of similar style, uh, Masvidal fighting in backyards in, uh, in South Miami, uh, Nate Diaz living over there in Stockton and all the imagery of toughness that that connotes. And, you know, now you have this belt that I would argue, when, if you talk to a casual MMA fan, I mean a super casual MMA fan, somebody that will show up for a Conor McGregor fight, but maybe not others, they know about this belt. They know about The Rock being involved and bestowing it and walking it out there. They know yeah. who Nate Diaz is. They know who George Masvidal is. They do not know who Kamaru Usman is. They don't. They do not know who Adesanya is. They just don't. They know who these guys are because it speaks to our most prim primitive enjoyment of combat sports. And I, like we talked about, it. we need to add some more people to this roster. And yeah. I think the, the, the recently leg-shattered Conor McGregor is a great addition. Nick and Nate Diaz, obviously, Masvidal, and there are others out there. Robbie Lawler is going to be one of these guys who ju they just want to fight, and they really don't care about winning the belt anymore. You know, never really did. Maybe you could argue yeah. in some in some examples. Uh, thinking about the two Diazes, I mean, it's just about fighting and proving who's tougher, and that's it. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a cool thing, um, but the UFC needs to get some traction behind it and maybe talk to some fighters who have found themselves in the position of gatekeeper and talk to them about maybe just being BMF candidates. It's like, I, I don't care that much about title belts. Maybe I, I just get jaded, Frank, because the UFC, they create all these interim titles, which I think devalues the real titles. It's like, okay, um, Francis Ngannou is the baddest heavyweight on the planet, and he's also the champion, so that works. Good for him. He deserves it. But then they're going to make a Fugazi interim championship for no reason whatsoever uh when Derek lewis and surreal gone fight it's like what like why do you have to create a title belt it's stupid so if people think i'm devaluing title belts because i tweeted out my admiration for the bmf title you know you don't realize the ufc is devaluing title belts when they create interim championships and then sometimes they actually unify the title sometimes they don't sometimes you know, like uh, like our guy Colby Covington, you just get kind of hung out to dry in purgatory anyway when you have an interim title. And it's like, I, I don't know, to me, it's like there are guys I enjoy watching <coughs> and I respect fighters based on their performances, 
you know, based on who they beat. And I don't necessarily need to see them wearing a title belt to legitimize that. And if you want to know whether titles are the end-all, be-all, let's not forget Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier could have fought for the vacant lightweight title a couple of months ago. He chose instead to fight Conor McGregor. That wasn't a title fight. Yet he decided he had his choice. He could have fought uh, Charles Oliveira for the vacant title, a fight that ended up going to Michael Chandler because Dustin turned it down. So Dustin could have fought for this prestigious belt, but he decided, no, I'd rather fight against the guy with the bigger name who's going to make me more money. So, okay, you tell me then. Are are title belts the end-all, be-all? No, they're not. And unfortunately, the way the UFC is, is polluting that with the interim belt scene, it's becoming a little bit, just a little bit like boxing where you have too many belts floating around and too yeah. many titles floating around. And then people just don't really know who's got a belt at any given moment. So you're absolutely right about that. But uh, there's something that just appeals to me about the, the, the two men that have represented the BMF battle so far. And um, I think it would be fun for us over the next couple of weeks to add some more names to the roster and start really promoting this. I think we might Sean be able O'Malley, to drive. I think would be a good one. Yeah. I mean, there's right. I mean, there's, there's fun names that we could throw in that, um, you know, fighters that really bring it, but don't really have themselves in a trajectory where they're going to get to another title shot. And I think those are the, the guys that we want to recruit into our new, into our new division. Oh, and you don't no. have to make weight in my new division. That's yeah. true. You could fight whatever weight you want to. <laughs> Who gives a crap? Yeah, man. Don't even step on a scale. Who cares? (laughs) Huge, huge shout out as we wrap it up here on five rounds. Excellent job as always behind the scenes by Manny Chang uh, for working so hard. And and we're going to get we're going to get some of these other video interviews posted. You saw my conversation with Kayla Harrison, Uh, James Walker, who wasn't with us today. He's going to be back next week. Uh, he sat down with Rory McDonald. Is he is he called the Yellow King, the Red King, the Water Boy? I, I, I don't keep up with this dude's nicknames. We're, we're going to hear from Rory McDonald. You can check out those videos on YouTube. Of course, guys, make sure make sure you check out that Buffalo Shrimp and the Ice Cold Beer and every UFC pay-per-view fight for no cover charge at the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. This show is served by the Quarterdeck. They are an awesome partner of ours here on Fight Night. Make sure you follow Frank on Twitter, by the way. He's approaching 30 followers, which is, you know, it's a two-and-a-half-week-old Twitter account, so this is monumental if he can get to 30 Twitter followers. Follow him at RealFrank underscore Z. Follow me at Alex Dono, Dono spelled D-O-N-N-O. Follow James at James Walker NFL. We will talk to you guys again next week on another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Peace. Peace.